Shalom, shalom, friends. Thank you so much for being here. We are thrilled in this holy month of Elul to have this special opportunity with you to reflect and do some of the hard and delightful spiritual work together in the month of Elul in this practical teshuva workshop guided introspection with really a master teacher uh, that we have the pleasure of being with here today for us and tonight for him, uh, anyone else in Israel as well. And this is a, a great opportunity to not arrive at Rosh Hashanah empty-handed, that we arrive there unprepared, but we have done some work leading into this new year already. We are here with Dr. David Bernstein, who is the Dean of the Pardes Institute for Jewish Studies in Jerusalem, living in Baca, and has been at the wonderful Pardes Institute for 23 years. Previously, he was the director of Midrashat Lindenbaum. He has a BA and MA in history and a PhD in religious education from NYU. His passion for Jewish history has taken him as historian in residence with student and adult groups to Poland, Prague, Budapest, Vienna, Berlin, and other important European sites of Jewish life. It is a delight to be here with you today, Dr. Bernstein. Thank you so much, Rav Shmuley. Um, I, uh, I just want to remind people and give you a heads up that you do need to have a laptop or pen and paper in order to be able to join in this exercise. So if you don't have one, um, take a moment to get it now, because uh, otherwise it won't be worth very much. Okay, so um, welcome. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to see uh, new faces and I see a couple of names here of people that I do know. So uh, a shout out to uh, Miriam and a shout out to Dove. Uh, nice to see you, um, but welcome to all. So uh, as, uh, as Rav Shmuley said, this is the Hebrew month of Elul. And Elul is meant to be 30 days of preparation for the new year, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and no doubt you've heard rabbis and teachers and others speak about tshuva. Tshuva being translated as repentance, or it can be translated as return, uh, not just return to God, perhaps return to ourselves, to our best selves. Uh, and, um, and that's one of the themes of this time of year. Um, it's a time of year that's meant to be uh, somewhat introspective. Uh, for us to do a cheshbon hanefesh, a personal accounting of ourselves. Uh, where do we stand? Where have we succeeded? Where have we come up short uh, over the last year and beyond? And what can we do to try to change that? How can we improve ourselves? Um, and often these are very lofty concepts. And I developed this exercise, which I've really been doing for a very long time with many different kinds of audiences, because I felt a great need to make it hands-on, to make it practical, to make it personal, uh, to make it real and not just theoretical. And so, um, let me see if I can share this screen. Okay, it worked. Um, we're going to start with a, a quote from the Mishnah, uh, from uh, the Ethics of the Fathers, Pirkei Avot. Uh, Yoshua, the son of Prachia said, judge every person favorably. And um, and one of the commentators uh, on this piece said that, you know, we already judge ourselves that way. You know, we judge ourselves giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. You know, I meant to go to synagogue, but I was just too tired. I, I meant to visit that friend who was ill, but something came up. 
I, I meant to give, to write that check to charity, but I just forgot. We give ourselves generally, uh, most of us, the benefit of the doubt. And so what the, this particular Baal Musar, this particular uh, ethicist says about this particular Mishnah is that what we do for ourselves, we should do for others. Just as we give others, ourselves, the benefit of the doubt, we should be able to give others the benefit of the doubt. You know, if somebody walks into synagogue for the last minute uh, of the prayer service, uh, we shouldn't look at them and say, now you show up. We should, be, we should be thinking probably something happened that this person wasn't able to come at an earlier time. And when that person doesn't visit us when we're sick, that friend, we should be giving them the benefit of the doubt. And similarly, when somebody doesn't contribute to that charity that we know they want to contribute to, but somehow they never got around to it, we should be giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's what this particular Baal Musa, this particular teacher of ethics has to say. But, um, but I would like to say, that this time of year, we should be turning it on its head, meaning we shouldn't be giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We should try to be looking at ourselves more objectively. If we wanna really take stock of ourselves, then we have to look at the good and the not so good. We have to see where we have reached our potential and where we're still falling short. That's the way I think to have an honest accounting of ourselves, at least as much as is humanly possible. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read a, a series of questions. I think there are 17 or 18 questions that I'm going to read to you. And after each question, I'm gonna give you a minute or two to write an answer. The answers are only for you. We are not going to ask anyone to share. This is totally confidential. And so therefore I urge you to be as honest with yourself as possible. Okay, I'll say it again. It's totally confidential. No one's going to share anything. Okay, and normally if I would do this in a room, I'd ask you to spread out so that nobody can think that someone's looking over their shoulder on Zoom, I can be sure <laughs> that unless there are two of you in the room, nobody's looking over somebody's shoulder. And that should hopefully free you to be able to write what you really feel, okay? Because this is really a, an exercise in guided introspection. Um, a couple of other words before we start. Um, when I ask a question, sometimes I'll say, list two things or list three things. The number's not important. If four of those things come to mind, write down four. If only one comes to mind, write down that one, okay? And, uh, and last but not least, um, when I first uh, did this exercise, I used to say, take a moment to think and then write. And then I did the exercise myself and I realized that was a terrible mistake because as soon as you start thinking, your mind begins to censor the truth. That's the way our mind works. So I'm going to ask you, how many people here have a laptop? Raise your hand that are using a laptop. And how many people are using pen and paper? Raise your hand. Okay, if you're using pen and paper, when I ask a question, I urge you, put the pen or pencil on the paper ready to write. And don't think, don't think. And if you are at a keyboard, have your fingers on the keys ready to type. And when I ask the question, do not think. Just write. Let it come out as a stream of consciousness. It'll be much more accurate and honest. And no one else will see it, just you, okay? 
Okay. So, question number one. You should have your pen on the paper and your hands on the keyboard, okay? And remember not to think, just to write. Two ways in which I can be a better parent or son or daughter. Two ways in which I can be a better parent or son or daughter. Again, don't be limited by the number two. Question number two, two ways in which I can be a better brother or sister, or if you're an only child, cousin. Two ways in which I can be a better sister or brother or cousin. Question number three, three ways in which I can be a better partner, spouse, roommate, or neighbor. In other words, someone you live with or someone you live next to. Three ways in which I can be a better partner or spouse or roommate or neighbor. Question four, two ways in which I can be more serious about my commitment to Jewish learning. Two ways in which I can be more serious about my commitment to Jewish learning. Question five, three ways in which I can improve my use of time. Three ways in which I can improve my use of time. Make better use of my time.
Question six. Two ways I can improve my health or my fitness. Before we get to question seven, I've shared on my screen an excerpt from the Rambam, Maimonides, the great medieval Jewish scholar, from his Laws of Repentance. And he writes, and I'll read the English, neither repentance nor Yom Kippur atone, except for sins between a person and God. Meaning, whatever we go through, the process we go through of tshuva, of repentance, of return, fasting and praying, they only account, they can only deal with the sins between a person and God, like eating forbidden foods or engaging in prohibited sexual practices, etc. However, sins between people, for example, he who hurts a friend or curses someone or steals from them, these are never forgiven until one gives one's fellow what you owe him or her and reconcile with them. Even if one returns the money one owes, one must reconcile with him or her and ask for forgiveness. In other words, what the Rambam is saying, Maimonides is saying, is that the wrongs that we have done over the past years we can't ask God for forgiveness for them unless they were between us and God. But if they were between us and other people, we need, first of all, to restore whatever we may have taken from them. And we need to reconcile with them and ask them for forgiveness. Asking people for forgiveness is sometimes very difficult. And I want to cite that there are two categories of people that we need to ask forgiveness from. The first category are the people that love us. Family, good friends. When we sometimes wrong, when we sometimes disappoint, when we sometimes don't come through for. There's a second category. And that is people that we've wronged, either by what we've done or sometimes by what we haven't done, who don't love us. They're not family, they're not friends. They're people we may have ignored. They're people that we didn't lend out a helping hand to when they needed it, or we could have done. And so for question number seven, there are two parts, A and B. 7A, two people that I should ask forgiveness from who love me. And 7B, two people I should ask forgiveness from that don't necessarily love me.
Question number eight. I want to preface question number eight with a short story. Many years ago, I was a counselor in a summer camp. And um, eventually I became a head counselor in that camp. And there was a young man whose name was Mark, who was, uh, he was 16 years old. And Mark had everything going for him. He was literally tall, dark, and handsome, very smart, very popular, and a great athlete. He was the star of the basketball team in his division, the star of his baseball team in his division. He had everything going for him. There was only one problem with this 16-year-old Mark. He knew it. He knew how talented he was. He knew how smart he was. He knew how popular he was. And he was a little bit self-centered and arrogant. Maybe even a little bit more than a little bit. And I remember that the next summer, we came back to camp. He was now 17 years old. And he was a, a CIT, a counselor in training. And I watched him and I saw that he had really grown. He had really become a mensch. He really had shed some of that arrogance, some of that self-centeredness. And he now was much more open to the rest of the world. He hadn't lost any of his talents, but he had removed himself from the center of the world. And he had, he, well, I would say he menched out. He, he became a more mature uh, and more sensitive person. And uh, a few months later, we were already planning for the next summer. And he told me that he was going to come back to camp and be a junior counselor. And I was the head counselor at the, that time. I was so happy. I told him, oh, I'm so happy you're coming back. That's great. That's wonderful. Terrific. And then in June, a few weeks before camp was about to start, Mark was killed in a car accident. It was actually the first funeral I went to. It's terrible when someone that young passes away, and doubly so when someone with such talents is not going to be able to grow up and use them. But I felt an additional pain inside myself because I had never told him how much he had grown. I had never told him, Mark, you're so much more of a mensch now. You've really grown up so beautifully. I never got a chance to tell him that. So question number eight. Someone I need to tell something to, and not to wait. Someone I need to tell something to, and not to wait. Question number nine. Two people that I have fallen out of touch with and one could be one of them 
that I will try to reach out to today or tomorrow. Two people I have fallen out of touch with, one of whom I will try to reach out to today or tomorrow. Question number 10, two Jewish practices I didn't do well this past year, or didn't do enough of, or didn't do at all. Two Jewish practices I didn't do enough of this year, or didn't do well, or didn't do at all. Question number 11, two ways I can improve my prayer practice. Two ways in which I can improve my prayer practice. Question 12, the two things I did this past year or two that I am most proud of. The two things I did this past year or two that I am most proud of. I've shared a screen with you, something that a woman named Sarah Riegler wrote a number of years ago. You'll be able to tell it's dated as we read it, but I think it's still relevant to us. We could have been magnanimous. Instead, we were petty. We could have been generous. Instead, we were stingy. We could have been honest. Instead, we told self-serving lies. We could have buoyed up others with kind words. Instead, we wounded them with deprecations. We could have esteemed our parents for their ongoing contribution to our lives. Instead, we made them feel useless and outdated. We could have made our home sanctuaries of love and peace. Instead, we degenerated into bickering and blaming. We could have spent our spare time studying the profundities of the Torah. Instead, we opted for well, she writes cable TV, we would write Netflix. We could have been the person God created us to be. Instead, we settled for a mediocre imitation. The same Sarah Riegler wrote that the Hebrew word for sin, chait, is actually not only the word for sin, 
it's the word for missing the mark. You know, if a uh, basketball player shoots a shot and misses, it's called lachto. It's from the same root as chet, as sin. It's to miss the mark. It's to miss the full potential between our present reality and what we could be. That's missing the mark, says Sarah Riegler. That's what sin is. We don't live up to our full potential. We miss the mark. So question number 13 is, two things I'm ashamed I did last year or two, two things that I don't think reflect the real me. Two things I've done in the last year or two that don't reflect the real me that I wish I could take back. Question 14, three goals I'd like to set for myself for the coming year. Three goals I'd like to set for myself for the coming year. Question 15, what kind of person do I wanna be remembered as? What are the most important personal qualities that I want to nurture and develop that people will remember me for? Question 16, how can I go about actually nurturing those qualities? What can I do to develop those qualities that I wanna be remembered for? And the last question, question 17. Two people I look up to and what it is that I admire about them. Two people I look up to and what it is that I admire about them. 
the answer to that last question may say as much about you as it does about the people that you admire. It reflects your own values and goals and aspirations. You might even want to take the time to tell those people what it is you admire about them. So the rabbis teach us that there are three stages in repentance or return, tshuva. And uh, the first is hakaratachet, recognizing that we have fallen short. If we don't recognize that we have fallen short, there is no path to self-improvement. The second stage is charata or regret. You know, sometimes we can recognize that we fell short, but we make all sorts of excuses. And as a result, without regret, we don't move forward. So regret is an important component. You know, I mentioned before about taking something back. I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. There are so many things in my life that I wish I could just take back. And it's not only a poor investment in the stock market, but so many words that I've said that I wish I said differently or just kept my mouth shut or opportunities that I missed when I could have done something. And I wish I could take that opportunity back and actually do it. So regret is an important component of the tshuva process of the process of return or repentance. And the third stage is resolving. Kabbalah la'atid. Taking on in my own mind that I am going to be different next time. I'm going to do it differently. If I'm in that same situation, I'm actually going to act and not keep quiet. Or I'm actually going to keep quiet and not say the wrong thing. Those are the three stages that the rabbis teach us are involved in tshuva and repentance or in return. I'd like to hope that even in this short 40 minutes or so, that we may have achieved the first stage, recognizing where we've fallen short that in some cases we may have experienced the second stage, the feeling of regret, the feeling that we wish we could take it back. And hopefully even in some cases, we might have reached that third stage of repentance, of return, of resolving that next time we're going to do better. So with that, I'd like to wish all of you that you should have a meaningful Hebrew month of Elul, a meaningful Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur. And may we all grant forgiveness and be granted forgiveness and be granted a wonderful year ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Dr. Bernstein, this is, um, I feel like I could spend a few more hours with all of this and I'm excited to do that. Um, friends, does anyone want to ask a quick question um, uh, on any of this material here, either on the writing process, the Teshuva journey for Dr. Bernstein in our remaining time? I, um, I just want to say that it was really helpful. I just want to give you the feedback of how specific the questions were because I've tried to do this before and the questions are so big. So you have a big piece of paper and a big question. And it's much better this way where they're quick. You're like, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. And it just came faster. So this, this really worked for me. Awesome. Thank you for that feedback. Rita has a question in the side. What about people who don't know they've wronged you? Hmm. 
Well, it's hard to do tshuva for them. <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes we can find it in ourselves to forgive them, even if they don't ask for forgiveness. Um, not always, I, honestly, we're human beings. Uh, but, but sometimes we can. Um, and and, it, and I guess there might be some cases, I don't wanna suggest it for every case, but there might be some cases where, especially if you have a strong relationship with someone, that you can raise it with them and say, you know, I love you. I cherish our relationship. I was really disappointed when, there might be a way to say that, but I would suggest probably it only works when you're talking with somebody that you really love. Yes, Sharona. Hi, um, I found it, first of all, thank you very much for this. It really was quite helpful. But I also, during this COVID time, have found it difficult to uh, do all the things that I'd like to do. And that's been a burden for me. And I, I appreciate you saying getting, we often get ourselves off the hook because it's a lot easier. Um, and I, but I don't want to. Um, and I also feel that things are like not in my control for some things that I would like to do. So just wanted to share that. If you have any insights, that would be great. Sharona, you and hundreds of millions, if not billions of other people, uh, including myself, have been so limited in the last year and a half. Um, and it's, it's definitely restricted us from doing many of the things we've wanted to do. Uh, not just the enjoyable things, but the important things. Correct. Uh, so I hear you loud and clear and I agree and, and yeah, um, you know, we, uh, we sometimes cut ourselves too much slack, but I think with COVID, um, there's some slack that we all deserve, um, without a doubt. Um, I have a question, Dr. Bernstein. So a lot of what my, um, what my writing led me to was do more of this, do more of that give this person more attention, right? And it's a lot of more and more, and there's only so much time in a day. <laughs> and so it feels like part of the teshuva is not just doing more and not even just doing better, but changing our being in that process. And I wonder how we think of that type of teshuva where kind of a different, deeper aspect of ourself is emanating rather than just a list of do more. Do you have any insights on the teshuva, not in the action realm, but in the being realm? Wow, uh, that Shmuley is a fantastic point. Um, I think it goes far beyond the questions I asked. Uh, and I, but I think, I think your point is so well taken uh, that uh, you know, maybe the one question that relates to that is the question I asked about how do you wanna be remembered? In other words, you know, what is it about ourselves? What, what personal characteristics can we nurture and develop uh, that, can, that can create a better me? Um, and then other things will flow from that. Um, mm. But I, I hear that point loud and clear. No, you did. That, One of your questions was about these equalities. Yeah, that was a great question mm -hmm. that kind of triggered this for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I see Lisa has her hand up. If you want to unmute yourself, Lisa. She's still here. Oh, we may have lost her. Oh, Lisa, you want to unmute yourself? No, I'm sorry. I didn't have a question, but I noticed there's some questions in the chat that you might want to address. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, I see Eddie has asked, should you reach out to people for forgiveness if you know it might make the situation worse? It mm -hmm. might reignite their anger. And then building off that, Rita writes, Eddie's question reminds me of the problem with making amends in some programs. Sometimes you have to listen to their tirade of how much it hurt that person and you have to be able to listen to it. Yeah. Look, asking forgiveness, particularly from the people who don't love us, is very hard. 
Um, and I hear that there may be a, a case where we, we risk uh, hearing a lot of unpleasantness and maybe it makes it worse. Uh, I can think of one case where I asked forgiveness from someone that I had wronged. And I realized a few months later that I had wronged that person. And uh, that person was very angry with me. And it was mostly silent anger, but when I asked for forgiveness, it wasn't silent anymore. Um, Jewish law prescribes that if a person asks you for forgiveness three times, that on the third time you have to forgive them. Otherwise it's on you. Now, I don't know, Lisa, if this person is familiar with that particular halacha. It helped in my case. It happened to have been a person who was Jewishly well-educated. And the third time I asked, he did forgive me begrudgingly. And I can't say that our relationship returned to what it once was. It wasn't. But I will say that I think I learned more because I asked for forgiveness than if I hadn't. Actually, that, that painful process um, actually helped um, internalize the lesson I needed to learn much more than if I hadn't asked for forgiveness. Um, it was like I had to pay a price, uh, but that lesson of how to, how to deal with someone in that kind of situation where I had wronged him um, stuck with me much, much more, I think, because of my asking for forgiveness. So I'll go back and say, I'm sure that it can't work in all cases. Um, but I do think that there are cases where we can ask for forgiveness and it's painful for us. It's hard and maybe hard for that person too. Um, but uh, I think there is something to be gained. So building off of that, that, that yes. very helpful response, um, I want to well, ask- I just want to add one more thing. Please, yeah. It was, it was also cathartic for me. Thank you. So one of the questions I often get um, that I'd love to hear your response on as well is, in addition to this mitzvah here of asking for forgiveness, we also have the mitzvah of tochacha, of giving feedback to others. And yet it seems those two probably shouldn't happen at the same moment, that we give a, a harsh delivery of the way someone wronged us, and at the same time asking for forgiveness. How do we think about breaking those two up? If we're going to ask for someone for forgiveness who also hurt us, sometimes um, it's unclear what the kind of order should be there. Uh, Rabbi Shmuley didn't quote it, but I'm sure he knows that the rabbis also say that the mitzvah of rebuking your neighbor is one that uh, in our generations, uh, that talent has been lost, the way to do it well. And one must exercise tremendous care and caution before one rebukes uh, someone. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who works with teachers and I have to give feedback to teachers. And I, I, I learned from Rabbi David Eliach, who was the famed long-term principal of the Yeshiva of Flatbush in Brooklyn, New York. I learned from him that first of all, you give all of the positive feedback. And second of all, you can only give one critique. Mm -hmm. You could sit down on a class of an hour. You could have a list of 10 things that that teacher could have done better or didn't do and they should have done or did and shouldn't have done at all. Pick one. Because most human beings can't take so much criticism. So that's what I would say about rebuke. If somebody is going to give rebuke, do it within a context of love, do it within a context of a relationship and only say the minimum 
Um, and yes, Rav Shmuley, it has to be divorced uh, from uh, the process of asking forgiveness. So, all right, anyone else have a question here? Okay, so Dr. Bernstein, any closing remarks from you here? No, I appreciate very much all of the questions and interest and the positive feedback. And uh, really, I wish all of us a year of forgiveness, both giving and receiving, uh, and a year of self-improvement. Uh, and it should be a wonderful year. Amen. Friends, I hope you'll take these wonderful questions and give yourself the gift of time to work through them more and do them in a few different contexts, perhaps, because it can, new ideas can emerge in different spaces um, and both be kind of tough with ourselves and really loving and gentle with ourselves in the process of our own teshuva. Wishing everyone continued um, success in this path. Dr. Bernstein, thank you so much. Have a great night in Yerushalayim. Thank you. All the best.